please take your Bibles and uh, let's go to the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 28, and then put a marker over in Colossians chapter 2. Matthew 28, I've taught, I taught several weeks on uh, people Jesus reached. I'm nowhere near done with that series. Uh, but uh, when Pastor asked me to speak this morning, uh, just this was the direction that uh, I felt like the Lord would have us go. And uh, be another message that will deal with evangelism and outreach and soul winning. Uh, Matthew 28, we know the verses, beginning of verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We call this the Great Commission. It is the marching orders for believers. It's the marching order for the church. Amen. To get the gospel to the world. And I thank God for every missionary. Uh, but you realize every one of us are missionaries. I've been in many churches that have a sign over the door on the back of their auditorium it's, as you leave. And it says, you are now entering the mission field. And, and, and it's true. And, uh, but here we see God's commands that we are to get the gospel uh, to the world. Now if you will go to the book of Colossians, chapter number 2. And you'll wonder what in the world do these two verses have to do with each other, but that's okay. Um, we'll start in verse number 14. Uh, this one was read the other day in one of the services. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what Jesus did. The law is what makes us guilty before God. It's all the things that we did to violate the law of God. It's all the things that we did in sin, and, and all those things that we did that cause us to deserve to go to hell. When Jesus died on the cross, he took all of that for us and nailed it to his cross. That was a, a custom. They would take the charges against the, the criminal and put it on the cross as they executed him. Here's why he's dying. Well, the ones, spiritually speaking, that were nailed to Jesus' cross were our sins, not his. And we get saved, we get his righteousness, and he took our sin. And that's what this is talking about. He says in verse number 15, Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So we see that Jesus very publicly and openly, he died for our sins. He, he, he destroyed all of the sin against us. Aren't you glad about that? Hallelujah. Nothing like being saved. Amen. But then notice verse 16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the body is of Christ. Uh, we understand that this is talking about those Old Testament, the, the Jewish laws, the ceremonial laws and all of that. Uh, we're not under that. Aren't you glad we're not under law today? I've already violated some of that. And I've got wool in my coat and cotton in my shirt. I couldn't wear the two together if I was under the Jewish law. And, uh, and definitely couldn't have the ham that I'm going to eat Sunday. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> amen. And uh, as one sign said, bacon's the number one reason not to be a vegetarian. But uh, when we think about all that God has done for us in these scriptures, I, I, I want us to look this morning at the thought of holidays and the Great Commission. We'll look into the scripture, a little bit of a Bible study, and I'll tell you right up front, we'll, do, we'll lay a big biblical foundation. We're going to look at a lot of things, and you're wondering, what in the world has this got to do with anything? 
And then we'll make the sharp right turn and we'll get to where it applies to all of us. And I think it'll be helpful for us this morning. Let's pray as we get into the lesson. Our Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the salvation that you supplied to us through the death, the burial, and resurrection of your Son. We're so glad that salvation to us is merely a gift to be received by faith. Thank you for all of your plan to create the, the entire system whereby you would send your Son that he could be our sacrifice. I pray you'd help us this morning as we study. I pray you'd open our minds to your word. I pray you'd open our hearts and help us to respond and to take the application and this week use it. And we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the time of years that we call the holidays. Um, that period from Thanksgiving through the new year. And by the way, I, I, I make a commitment every year after the second week of November. I don't preach on gluttony until the middle of January. <laughs> And, uh, you know, because, you know, on Thursday, we, uh, we baked a turkey and we baptized one uh, in hot oil. And it was awesome. And uh, I had a preacher friend text me and he said, I hope you're not, you don't have a gathering larger than your governor wants. I said, no, we're not, we're not doing that. We're having two funerals, a baptism, and then we're protesting. But anyway, <laughs> but it's the time of year where we plan uh, parties, we give gifts, we have family gatherings, unless you live in a state with a Democratic governor. And uh, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and I call it the forgotten holiday. I get so frustrated, you walk through the stores in, uh, in October, and you've got all the Halloween decorations, and I don't do Halloween. And, uh, and then on the week before Halloween, they're taking that stuff down and already putting Christmas decorations up, and nobody's even talking about Thanksgiving. And I think part of that is just uh, the, the secular humanism of our society. They do not want to be thankful to God because that means they have to acknowledge He's there and they're accountable to Him. We have completely forgotten about that. But as we enter in this part of the season, it's helpful for us to examine the Scriptures and see what God says about holidays, or as it's called in the Bible here, that we just read in Colossians, holy days. No, there's some that would argue you shouldn't celebrate it. I've had as a pastor, people come to me, preacher, we shouldn't ever put up a Christmas tree. And, we, you know, and they go and quote this scripture in the Old Testament about taking a tree and cutting it down and bringing it in your house, decking it with gold and, and worshiping it. It's, it's, you understand he's talking about building an idol. I don't carve any idols in December and putting in my living room. But anyway, well, and, but people say, we well, shouldn't even celebrate Christmas. And, 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 and then they get mad at you. But here in our text in Colossians, Paul is addressing the church at Colossae, don't judge somebody else about that. If they want to celebrate a holiday, leave them alone. Amen. And if you want to, they should leave you alone. That's what he's saying. Isn't it amazing the stuff we fight over? If we would just read our Bible, we could solve the problem. And, uh, but it's interesting to note in the scriptures how much God talks about holidays, or as it's referred to here, holy days. Take your Bibles, go to the book of Coloss or to, to uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 2. This is a scripture we're going to read. In the next month, you'll probably read this scripture 10 or 12 times. Um, I remember one time as a pastor, I preached four Sunday mornings in a row from Luke chapter 2. And uh, there's just so much here. But Luke 2, we know the story, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph went up also out of, uh, from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished, that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now this is an interesting one. When we think of this text, we think of Christmas. But you understand when Luke 2 happened, there was no Christmas on anybody's calendar except God's. And by the way, it wasn't in December when Jesus was born. We don't have time to go down that road this morning. But anyway, uh, but you understand what's going on here. There was a, a, a particular social and cultural event taking place in Luke chapter 2. It was tax collection day. Why was Joseph, why were Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem, because the governor had said there's going to be a tax, and the way you paid your tax is you didn't do it online, you had to go to where you were from. Can you imagine on April 15 if everybody had to go back to the town where they were raised? Boy, would that mess up America, amen? Oh, my soul. But that's what was happening, and so it was tax collection day. But I want you to think about this. God used the setting of a cultural event to set the stage for the birth of his son. The reason so many people were in Bethlehem and that there was no room in the inn is because people were traveling because the government said they had to. Just chew on that a little bit. And what happened in the middle of that? Jesus came. And we find out an announcement went out. We'll talk about it a little bit later in the message. But in Luke chapter 2, as, as the angels are speaking to the, the shepherds, they say to them, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Isn't it interesting? God used an event that the entire society recognized to set the stage for the birth of Christ and for its public announcement. Now, if you will, go to the book of 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter number 8. And we'll begin in verse number 13. In fact, we'll just read verse 13 out of this chapter. Even after a certain rate every day, offering according to the commandment of Moses on the Sabbaths, and on the new moons, and on the solemn feasts, three times in the year, even in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. I know we're not Jews. We don't follow Jewish law. But here it's important for us to understand. God commanded Israel, there's three times in the year, three special feasts that I want you to recognize. Here in this chapter, in verse 13, God outlines the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That feast, he said, I want all the men to come. We'll look at that in a moment. He said, I want everybody to, to recognize that feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's Passover. So that's the, the number one holy day among Jews is Passover. What is that? That's the mark of when God delivered them out of Egypt in the 10th plague and allowed them to head to the promised land. It's a picture of our salvation. The next is the Feast of Weeks. That happens 50 days after Passover. We call that Pentecost. And it was to celebrate uh, those, those first fruits, the giving of the law. It was, it, it was a very important feast to Israel. And we'll look at that in a moment, what God did with that in the book of Acts. And then the last was the Feast of Tabernacles. 
That was the feast that recognized how God provided for Israel as they traveled in tents through the wilderness and every day God rained manna upon them. In the morning and, and, and quail, uh, he gave them that. He fed them wa- gave them water out of a rock. He provided for them. Now go over to the book of Exodus 23. Exodus chapter number 23. And we'll look at verse number 14. The Bible says here, beginning verse 14, Exodus 23. Three times shalt thou keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time appointed in the month Abib. For, it, uh, for in it thou camest, out of, uh, camest from Egypt and none shall appear before me empty. And by that means is you don't come before him without bringing an offering is what he's saying. Then the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field. And the feast of... Uh, in gatherings, which is the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field, three times in, all, uh, in the year, all thy males shall appear before the Lord thy God. So here God is telling us, uh, he said, I want you to keep these three feasts, unleavened bread, that's Passover, the next one, we, the Feast of Weeks, that's Pentecost, and then the Feast of Tabernacles or Harvest. He says in verse 17, three times in the year, all thy males shall appear before me. Well, this is a great passage right here. I wish I could spend more time on it. But God is saying three times in the year I want the men to leave wherever they live in Israel and come to the tabernacle, then later to the temple. I want all my men before me. As a pastor, I used to do three all-night prayer meetings a year for the men. Why? Because God says I want my men together in front of me. It's amazing when you study that out. God even promised to protect the children and the wives and their properties from attack while they were worshiping. God said, it's so important. I'm going I'm to do special things to protect your land so you're not attacked while you're worshiping me. Well, there's a lot of truth we could take off of that one. I don't have time for it. Uh, but he said, I want my men to come before me. It's a manly thing to go to church. It's a manly thing to come before God. It's a manly thing to live a holy life and to pray. Think of it, three times a year, little children will be asked their mom, Mama, where's Daddy? He's in Jerusalem worshiping our God. He's before Him. Well, what an amazing thing. Now go over to the book of Luke, if you will, Luke chapter number 23, and we will see how this now applies to us and how God used this in some very important events to us. Look at Luke 23 at verse number 52. Again, I told you, I'm laying a lot of biblical foundation and you're going to wonder what's the point of all this. At the end, we'll take a few minutes and apply it to us and you'll understand why we're doing it. Look at verse 52 of Luke 23. It's talking about uh, Joseph Arimathea and he says, This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in a sepulcher that was hewn in stone, wherein never man before was laid. And that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew on. I've taught a little bit on this about uh, the the Sabbath days and that there are different kinds of Sabbath days. This, of course, talks about the crucifixion of Christ and how that he had to be buried 
before the Sabbath came. And that's where uh, the, the Catholics misunderstand the Bible and they say, well, Jesus was crucified on Friday because Sabbath was the next day. No, it wasn't. He was crucified on Wednesday, was in the grave before Thursday because Thursday was a Sabbath, not a weekly Sabbath, but a yearly Sabbath. And, and we, see, we won't look there this morning, but in, in, in Leviticus 23, verses 23 to 29, describes the different Sabbaths. It says in Mark's gospel, in Mark 15, 42, Now when evening was come, because it was the preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which also waited for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly to Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. It says that before the Sabbath, Jesus' body was taken by Joseph and put into the grave. Now, when we look at that, we, we have to look at other portions of the scripture to find out what kind of Sabbath was it. Well, let's look. Look at uh, John 19. And look at verse number 31, John 19, verse 31. Boy, I love hearing the pages of those scriptures turn. That's music to my ears. John 19, verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation, and that bodies could not, should not uh, remain upon the cross on a Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day. That means it was a yearly Sabbath. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. It was a high day. It was a yearly Sabbath, not the Saturday Sabbath. It was the year, one of the yearly Sabbaths. So, preacher, what's the big deal? Well, go back up to verse 14. You'll find out how big of a deal it was. It says in, in John 19, 14, and it was the preparation of the Passover. On the 15th, and on the 15th day of the same month, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, before the Lord, seven days you must eat the unleavened bread. Uh, we see it, it, it says in Leviticus, in John 19 again, verse 14, it was the, pre the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour, and he said unto the Jews, Behold your king. Here's the point. That when Jesus was crucified, there were a whole bunch of people in town to celebrate the Feast of Passover. They were there to recognize God's deliverance. What a beautiful picture God painted for us on the crucifixion. He used a holiday, a holy day, the most holy day in, in Israel, the day of Passover. He said, here is the Lamb of God. Isn't it interesting? God used a holy day, a holiday, to get a crowd together. To do what? To to build the crowd for the crucifixion, and it was on that day with the multitudes in Jerusalem for the Passover that God used them as witnesses of the death of the Son of God as He paid the price for our sin. God used this day to demonstrate and to publicize His redemption. It's interesting what happened on that day. Uh, go back to Luke 23. We're going to talk about how uh, God used these in evangelism, in reaching people. Look at Luke 23 and verse number 40. We're picking up the story. Jesus is on the cross, and there's a thief on either side of him, and the thieves are arguing. The one thief says, if thou be the Christ, you know, uh, you know, come down off the cross and take us down too. And Verse number 40 says, but the other answering rebuked him, saying, dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly. You know what that is? That's repentance right there. I'm here because I deserve this. 
For we received the due reward of our deeds. But this man, talking about Jesus, had done nothing amiss. Then look at verse 42. This is an incredible verse. He's hanging on a cross just a few feet from the Son of God as Jesus is paying the price for our redemption. He says unto Jesus, Lord, remember me, thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Isn't it amazing? On this special day, the recognition of the, the Passover, that Jesus is being crucified, and one of the very last things he does is wins a thief to Christ while they both hung on a tree. It's absolutely amazing. It was a soul-winning event in the middle of a holiday. Go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27. And we'll look at verse number 54. Oh, let's start with verse 51. Just too good to miss this one. Matthew 27, 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened. And many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. Let me just pause right there before we read. Well, we'll read verse 53. And came out of the graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Can you imagine being in Jerusalem? During this time, on the crucifixion day, and after the resurrection day, and people that you were related to, that you attended their funeral, they're now walking around Jerusalem. That's what the Bible says. They were confused in the city, I guarantee you, that day. But notice verse 54. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, let me pause, centurion is a Roman soldier who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. This is an officer. Now, they, now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus. So he was there, probably partook in part of the crucifixion. He at least there was to guard it. Saw the earthquake and those things that were done. They feared greatly saying truly this was the son of God. What happened? Not only did the thief get saved, one of the soldiers got saved. The centurion, he trusted Christ. What? Because of what he saw on a holy day. A holiday. We saw in, um, in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, we talked about another feast, the Feast of Pentecost, that Feast of Weeks. It's the last one. Uh, we, we talked about how that, that first feast, Passover, uh, and now this feast, Pentecost, it was 50 days later. Go to Acts 2 in your Bibles, please. This is the second of the feasts where God said, I want all my men before me. Acts chapter 2, verse number 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice verse 5, and there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together, were confounded because that every man, here's the miracle, heard them speak in his own language. We know what happened on the day of Pentecost. God empowered 
these apostles to preach. And when they preached, people heard it in their language. These were not uh, unknown tongues. They were not heavenly languages. In verses uh, 9 and 10 and 11, God lists what languages they were. But all the men had been gathered together. It was one of those holy days. They were devout men. What did God do? God brought the entire nation of Israel with his men together on the day of Pentecost. And he used that event for him to pour out his spirit upon his servants. And the gospel was preached. And we know from Acts chapter number 2 that when when they did that, multitudes were saved. 3,000 got saved were baptized and joined the church. When? On a holiday. Why? Because God used the holiday to draw a crowd and then to promote his gospel. The last of those feasts, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Harvest, where God wanted the children of Israel to recognize his his provision to them, and he wanted them to thank him. Now think of it, during those three feasts, God said, I want you to think of these, I want to gather them in together, they're important in Israel, I want you to think of Passover, because that's when I saved you. I want you to think of Pentecost, that's, that's when, when I've empowered uh, the gospel to go around the world. And He said, what you think of the harvest? Thank me for the harvest. He said, I'm the one that gave you the strength to work. I'm the one that caused it to rain. I'm the one that caused the crops to grow. So we clearly see God orchestrated a lot of events around holy days or holidays. Now let me give you some practical application. We're in that time of year where it's holiday. We're all celebrating. We've got Christmas coming up and Number one, use the cultural setting. I hear people, I just don't even like holiday. It's become too commercialized. I agree with you. But do you understand during this time of year, people are expecting you to talk about the birth of Christ? They'll be disappointed if you don't. Uh, Use the cultural setting. Uh, Here's some suggestions. Invite others to your house for family gatherings. Just don't tell the governor you did it. Use the opportunity to speak about the Lord. Uh, One of the things that we were known for in in San Diego when I was an assistant pastor there, uh, we used to do a gathering at our house on Thanksgiving. It was ridiculous. We'd have 40 and 50 people at our house. We would deep fry three or four turkeys. We'd have a crowd there all day long. We'd be feeding everybody. We'd We'd have a little church service in the middle of it, in the middle of our house. It was awesome. And uh, one year, in fact, uh, one of the uh, one of my, my uh, new converts, somebody had led to Christ, he was a police officer, about a six foot five black man that's built like a freight train. And uh, he's, he's imposing. I, I just love being around him. And uh, he, I invited him and his family to come. He said, Brother, I got to work that day. He's a police officer. I said, Brother, I've ridden with you on ride alongs. You stop for lunch. Stop at my house. He said, If I come, I got to bring my sergeant. I said, Bring your sergeant. So here it is, about 4 o'clock on Thanksgiving afternoon, four police cars pulled up to my house. Eight police officers get out and walk into my house. I'm thinking, oh, the neighbor's like, what did the preacher do? We have pictures of these police officers sitting around as we're feeding them turkey. And got to witness to those co-workers of that police officer. What are you saying? Use the culture of it. You're going to have crowds anyway. 
Your company has a Christmas party. Take some tracks with you. Grab some of these Christmas tracks we have here at the church. Pass them out. Put them in every one of your, your Christmas cards as you send them out. Include those Christmas tracks. At your family Christmas, uh, Thanksgiving gatherings and Christmas gatherings. Thanksgiving, I hope you spent some time talking about uh, what you're thankful for. We had our family together and I was leading everything and I said, All right, who, who has something you want to be thankful for? And you know how kids are when they hear one kid say something, they'll all say it. So the first one of our grandkids says, I'm thankful for Papa." He was trying to get some candy, I think, that he knew we had brought. And then the next one, I'm thankful for Papa too. And, you know, about four or five of those did that. And, I'm like, and then finally one of them said, I'm thankful for my salvation. Like finally one of them is thinking spiritually. Amen. But what an opportunity to thank God publicly for what God's done. At your Christmas gatherings, people expect you to talk about the reason for the season. Because of our culture, and let me just say this, I, you know, the world, we, we live in a very secular society that's against God. And there's a reason why certain groups want you to cancel Thanksgiving and cancel Christmas. Because both of those holidays are acknowledging the goodness of God. That's why they don't want you thinking about that. They'll do the same thing at Easter. But as a nation, we know what this is about. And people are expecting us to talk to them. They're expecting you to invite them to church during this season. They're expecting you to invite them to the Christmas cantata. I always say at our church, we always made Christmas cantata one of the biggest outreach. In fact, it was the largest we ever did. We would have more people come. I'm talking about visitors, people that were not members, lost people. We had more lost people come to our Christmas cantata than any big day of the year. We would do it Sunday morning, Sunday night. We'd repeat it, you know, during the two things. And at the end of that, we'd have a strong Bible message. Yeah, we did the full cantata with the drama and the whole deal. Uh, in fact, I've got video that I can show you of the Shaws participating. You're not going to believe this. Brother Shaw in one of those in, in, in costume as Mary's father pounded a pulpit. He got angry. It's amazing. I've got video to prove it. But anyway, we'd have these crowds that would come. And every time we had people get saved. What did we use? We did what God did. We used a cultural event to give the gospel. The second biggest event was always the children's Christmas program. You get people to come to watch little seven-year-olds singing in church. You know, best ones, two and three-year-olds. Oh, my soul. Those are worth coming to watch. Because you don't know what they're going to say. Amen. They practice, they practice, they got the songs, they got the verses. You always got one little kid standing off to the side, twirling something around, looking around. But grandma and grandpa come. They won't come to church any other time. Aunts and uncles will come. And at the end of that, you preach the gospel. As a church and a school, during those special events, make sure a clear gospel message is presented and an altar call given. So what should we do? As a practical application, use the cultural setting. I understand. Everything's gotten commercial and it's all about buying stuff. And, you know, I've gotten the catalogs. I got the one from Cabela's. I got the one from Tecovis Boots. I don't know how they got me on their mailing list. But there's some pretty cowboy boots in there I can't afford. But anyway, I had to hide the catalog because I was uh, about to commit the sin of covetousness. You know what shopping malls are? They're temples of covetousness. But anyway, 
during this time of year as we gather together, we ought to use the cultural event. I know the world's all thinking about money and buying stuff, but it's the time to promote why Jesus came. Not only use the cultural event, number two, pray for God's power. Back in Acts chapter number one, when Jesus was giving the disciples the great commission, he says to them, verse number four, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. He said, I want you to wait here. I want you to pray. I want you to wait for when I pour out my spirit. Verse number eight, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. Don't just go into this Christmas season just casually. Ask for God to give you his power for witnessing. That's the purpose of the power of God, by the way. Amen. For witnessing. Number three, to look for opportunities to witness. You're going to have some co-workers in the next month that are going to say something to you at work and it will open a door for you to witness that you've been praying for all year long. Look for those opportunities. One of the amazing things about the life of Christ, you read through the Gospels, you don't ever see Jesus preaching a service at the end, giving an invitation for people to come. You know, he doesn't ever say to the disciples, meet me under the oak tree at 3 o'clock Saturday afternoon, we're going to go soul winning. I, I do think that he had organized times. I think he did publicly give those invitations. But what the Bible records is what we've been studying. One-on-one, -on -one, in a unique setting, Jesus speaks to a sinner. He looks up into a tree and says, Zacchaeus, come down. We read that story. We don't even think the cultural ramifications of it. There was a tax collector. That means there was a Jew working for the Roman government to get your money. How many of you have invited an IRS agent to your house for Christmas? Yeah, I didn't think so. But Jesus went to his house, got criticized for it. But Zacchaeus got saved and showed us what happened when you got saved. He gave back the money that he stole. You know somebody's gotten saved when they give back what they stole. That's called restitution. We don't talk about that much in America anymore. He, he used the setting at the cross to win the thief. Uh, walking down the road, there was blind Bartimaeus calling out to him. He stopped and had time for a sinner. Aren't you glad he had time for you? Look for the opportunities. Then number four, give the message. Go to, Act, uh, to Luke chapter 2, please. This will be the last passage we look at. Luke chapter 2. We're doing great on time. Luke 2. So what does that mean, great on time? Really nothing. But anyway. <laughs> One preacher friend of mine says in his sermon, he'd say, and in closing, and he would say that about seven times. He said, closing is my favorite part of the sermon. I just do it over and over again. Uh, I resemble that remark. But Luke chapter 2, look at verse number 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I show you great tidings, uh, good tidings of great joy, which shall be unto all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger." 
And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the chi this child. And all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had, that they had heard and seen and as it was told unto them. Last thought is this, give the message. Here we see soul winning shepherds. There's so many things we could talk about with these shepherds. It is amazing that the first people that were told that the Savior had been born was a bunch of shepherds. Who better to tell about the birth of a lamb than a bunch of shepherds? Amen? The Lamb of God, which should take away the sin of the world. And we see these, these men, that they were the first to them. It says in verse number 17, and when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning the child. Well, what was told them? Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Angels did not get to announce to the world that the Savior had come. They told some shepherds so the shepherds could go tell everybody else. That's exactly where we are today. God's not going to tell, send angels this time of year to announce it. That's what the holiday is all about. For us to tell others what God has done and that the Messiah is here. This truly is the most wonderful time of the year. The entire world will stop and talk about the Son of God and why He came to be the Savior. Let's use every opportunity to get the gospel to as many people as we can. Let's use the holidays to fulfill the Great Commission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that you showed to us. Thank you how, that you showed us how detailed and careful you were to arrange and schedule cultural events and holidays that could be used as a tool, a vehicle, a method to get the gospel to multitudes. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you that he was buried and he rose again the third day. And thank you for the opportunity and privilege to take that message to a world that desperately needs the hope that only Jesus provides. For it's in his name we pray.